We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back following wonderful Christmases for both of us here on the Yin Snowball podcast. I am John Ledyard. Along with me is Brad Spielberger, and we hope you all had a wonderful Christmas as well and are getting ready to enjoy uh, the New Year's too. Uh, Brad, we've uh, the, the the this year couldn't end without one more Steeler controversy and one more thing that has people at each other's throats in Pittsburgh. Um, even after a win on Saturday against the Bengals, the debate has raged this week whether Mason Rudolph or Kenny Pickett should start. We'll give our thoughts on that as well as what Mike Tomlin's comments were yesterday um but we're gonna look at this playoff picture as well so i'm kind of excited it's been like one of these uh how do you even describe this afc playoff picture race it's like not good but it's not like horrible either like a lot of these teams are like oh the colts and texans are in it nobody thought they would they're upstart teams you know kind of so it's like kind of good stories in some ways but it doesn't mean that they're good teams that are in the race for these wild card spots either yeah, that is true. That is true. No, I mean, there's just so many injuries and, and everything with the quarterbacks. And then the AFC South, even it, it, when healthy, looks like the AFC South. They, they kind of gave us a little reason to be optimistic to start the year. And they're kind of back to being the division we're used to them being. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there will be some fun matchups, some fun games. But I do think when you look at the first round in particular, I think you have more fun looking at like, does Matthew Stafford go back to Detroit? Like, there are a couple more intriguing wild card matchups on the other side. Um, obviously, though, you know, Baltimore, Miami, uh, etc., will be will be very fun. Uh, you know, at the end of the the wild card, the end of the uh, AFC playoff run. So, looking at the AFC playoff picture, we'll just focus over there today because we're going to try and try to see where the Steelers stack up and all of this, what's actually at stake. You know, all those kinds of things for Pittsburgh. If you look at the AFC playoff picture right now. It looks like the Ravens, after their win over the 49ers, are in really good position to get the one seed. And that victory of the 49ers, while Steelers don't cheer for the Ravens often, actually probably helped the Steelers to some degree because it means that the Ravens move that much closer to locking up the one seed and having nothing to play for the final week of the season when they play Pittsburgh. Um, that is kind of an interesting subplot um, to that matchup and to, in general, the end of the season outlook for the Steelers because Yes, if you're saying the Steelers have to beat the Seahawks and the Ravens back-to-back weeks, both of them full strength, playing starters, then yes, their playoff odds are probably what does New York Times have them listed at, and I don't know what you guys have them listed the same, but I think they'll make the playoffs per se at 12%. I think this, the New York Times has them at. Yes, it's probably 12%. However, if there are, that's not accounting for the fact that starters may not play in that game for Baltimore, which I would guess would significantly 
shift the odds, given that only one other result really has to go in the Steelers' favor, I think, for them to be able to have a shot to make the playoffs. Yeah, you got to be a huge Ravens fan against Miami. As as painful as it is as a Steelers fan to ever root for that team, um, you want them to beat the Dolphins, no question about it. And, and Miami, obviously, then has Buffalo in Week 18, another tough matchup. But if they lose to Miami, yeah, then Baltimore is going to give you your best effort and, and your best shot. So we have at 19%. I'm guessing it might be a small part of that that is hedging for the potential that Baltimore is not playing starters in the final week. Um, you know, not determined yet, but it does look like that is likely going to be the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, we can't let's not fall into the trap of, oh, we get the Patriots and the Cardinals coming up. The Ravens second unit is probably as good as the, the Arizona Cardinals and the New England Patriots starters. Uh, and the Steelers lost to both of those teams. So let's let's not count that as a W. Um, no matter who is playing, if it's Tyler Agreed. Huntley and yeah, yeah, let's let's not let's not get ahead of our skis here. No, it's really true. I believe there was a year it, they lost to the Ravens backups. I'm almost certain going into the playoffs another year, like they could have. I think another result had to go their way that ultimately ultimately didn't go their way. Maybe I'm trying to remember all the details now, but I'm sure some Steelers fans will remember and will comment on social media or on the podcast with us, but. I'm pretty sure there was a there was a game end of the year recently where the Steelers had a chance to make the playoffs. Could even been last year. I'd have to go back and look. And they lost the Ravens' backups. And maybe another result went their way that would have kept them out anyway. I can't remember. But they didn't like do the one thing they had to take care of as well. So anyway, that uh, embarrassing result would definitely be on the table still for this team. However, yeah, that would change the outlook here a little bit. Now the Jaguars are the team that's kind of like quickly falling apart here. They got drilled by the Bucs this past week. And Trevor Lawrence's health is in question. That is another variable that I don't know that these odds have accounted for is Trevor Lawrence's health and whether he's going to be able to play um, this week. They play the Panthers. So if there's ever a week for him to miss, it would probably be this week. But even the Panthers have played a little bit better recently. Like the Jaguars without Trevor Lawrence. I mean, do they beat the pa- like how much of a favorite are they over the Panthers? I believe they're are they on the road in Carolina. Or- yeah, I think it's at uh Actually, let me check on that. It, it, it's, it's a touchdown spread right now. Um, and it's in look, we'll see. it's in Jackson. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, with Beathard, you're definitely pulling that down to like five and a half, maybe even four and a half, uh, potentially. I mean, Lawrence is obviously good, but has not played the greatest football recently. Had the knee injury, obviously, the concussion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like Carolina, give it, let's give Bryce Young some, like, he did look pretty good against the Packers. A lot of it was kind of late in the game once they were already down, but I mean, they did tie the game up and, and had a chance to win, um, you know, against defensive Matt Canada, AKA Joe Barry uh, down the stretch there. So yeah, no, no result is certain. Also, I'm looking at the schedule. I'm chuckling the Steelers. If I told you they were four and one in the division, but were last in the division, or I guess maybe they're ahead of Cincinnati now, like this team just makes zero sense. <laughs> no. Yeah. They make, they make no sense at all. Um, they haven't really all season. And you think back over the three game stretch of losing to the Cardinals, the Patriots and the Colts, given the fact that nobody else has taken control of this thing um, in the AFC. And you just realize like a golden opportunity, not only to make the playoffs, but to be potentially even a seat above the Brown league. They could be the five seed if they had just taken care of business against really bad football teams. Um, you know, I don't think the Steelers are a good team. So in some ways I'm not like, wow, what a disaster. Like the Bills, some of their losses, if those had kept them out of the playoffs, I would have been like, wow, what a disaster that we don't have this team in the playoffs. Uh, but I think the Bills are in a, a pretty good position to make it um, now. And I, and obviously are one of the better teams, I think, in the league. The Steelers I don't see in that light. So this is brings up the like incredibly interesting 
conversation, Brad, of like, A, who do we think is even going to make the playoffs right now? And I wondered if we would maybe even just map out the scenarios for the Steelers, pretending that they somehow, obviously, I think if they lose to Seattle, it's I know it's not impossible, but it it seems so unlikely if they lose to Seattle. I believe just that loss alone would take them down to like a 6% or 5% chance to make the playoffs. That 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 in and of itself seems very unlikely to me. I mean, any comment on that? You think that that's pretty accurate? Like, if you lose that game, you're pretty much done. I think it's super super low. Yeah, uh, because you are still going to have like the AFC South thing we just mentioned. Now there's three teams with the same record. The Colts play the Texans in Week 18. So like one of those division winners, uh, one team's going to win the division, and then uh, another needs to get a wild card. And, and I think that because they play each other, like someone's got to get a W in the column. I think that helps them out. Um, you know, Cleveland's rolling along, uh, somehow with Joe Flacco, they have the jets tomorrow night, uh, which is a spread of over a touchdown, which I think is a little bit too big, but nonetheless, like they're, they're supposed to win this week. So yeah, Seattle strikes me as a bit of a must win. Cause I really do end of the day. Like, I mean, we're talking about all the Ravens might have their backups or is it going to be the third string quarterback and Mason Rudolph for the Steelers? Like, let's not pretend like it's a fully healthy Pittsburgh team either. Yeah. I mean, and, and. Not only that, there's the controversy of which one of these guys is actually better to some people, which I think is funny. But uh, let's let's march through, just look quickly here. Let's pretend in these scenarios the Steelers have been victorious over the Seahawks and beaten the Rams. Which, by the way, if they win those two, they obviously need help to get in, make it 100%. But if they win those two, the chances of them going up to make the playoffs are, go way up. So a lot of their the reason that people don't think they'll win is because they're not expected to beat these teams. We talked about the Ravens situation and how that could potentially sway the matchup. But like you said, there's no guarantee they're going to beat that team either, depending on who plays quarterback. So week 17, you've got Jets at Browns. Who would you expect to win that game? Do you think? I think the Browns just because Trevor Simeon is going to struggle against this Browns defense, but honestly, both quarterbacks I think are going to struggle. Maybe a hot take. I don't know. The Jets defense, in my opinion, is actually a better unit than Cleveland. So it, it could go either way. Uh, it's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, that is an interesting take. I I know the Browns metric-wise, I think their defense is like light years beyond everybody else, but I'm not sure that it ends up that way when you put the two against each other. I, I mean, the Browns defense is amazing, no question. Um, the Jets defense is very good as well. So that one I think could go either way, definitely. But I would give the edge to the Browns just given the way that they're playing right now and the fact the Jets have the offensive issues that they do. I think we both say Bills over Patriots. So how about Raiders at Colts? This one's... Probably trickier than it should be. Raiders playing a little bit better recently. I still think the Colts and how well they're coached. Like I think this, they could be one that they come away with here. Good, but no Braden Smith for Max Crosby is tough. And then you know Malcolm Coons is coming on a number two edge rusher for Las Vegas, a third round pick who's kind of having the third year breakout before our eyes right now. Like and like give give Antonio Pierce credit. Like they're playing some some inspired football right now, but. I think Indy finds a way because this, this defensive line for the Colts will cause problems against Aiden O'Connell, who didn't do anything against Kansas City. I mean, he had like 100 passing yards, uh, mm-hmm. I think, for the game. It really was just their defense and the Chiefs' you know inability to do anything and, and giving up two touchdowns, um, you know, to the Raiders' defense. So I'll lean Colts, but yeah, that's you're getting into the the, the matchup stuff is not in favor of Pittsburgh as we go through this. <laughs> Imagine telling somebody that you could complete zero passes for the final three quarters against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and win the game. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. I was sitting there, I was like, they had a two-score lead and O'Connell was had 62 passing yards. I was like, imagine, yeah, same thing. Like, imagine, like, hey, you're in Arrowhead up two scores and your quarterback has 60 passing yards. Unbelievable. He did complete a pass after the first quarter. I just can't even. That's insane. Oh, 
one of the worst losses I can remember a team taking. Um, I think we agree that the Jaguars probably find a way against the Panthers, no matter who's a quarterback. Uh, I don't know the Dolphins or Ravens matter for the Steelers, but again, let's just say, I guess in terms of Baltimore wrapping up, not wrapping up the one seed, I guess it would matter. So it's, again, the Steelers probably cheering for the Ravens, I would guess in that game. Um, Gotta be. Yeah. And so then it would be um, Chargers Broncos. That game probably has no effect on, on the Steelers either. Are the Broncos still technically alive or no? I think they're dead because I don't know if okay. you saw right before we just started. Uh, the Broncos are considering benching Russell Wilson for the last two games. Oh, I didn't really see about it's it's about protecting. You know, he, he has money that is currently only injury guaranteed for 2024, but would become fully guaranteed at a later date if he gets hurt. Obviously, that money it's 37 million dollars uh, for 2025, uh, but the trigger date is in 2024. And, uh, yeah, they are not going to take that risk. It's like what you saw with the Raiders last year with Derek Carr. Like, they bench him just because they're not going to let injury guarantees kick in. I think mathematically, let me check. I'm pretty sure they, they lost. With the Patriots' loss, okay, I guess they do have a small chance. They probably need to win out and need, like, every single AFC outcome to go their way because yeah. we have them with a, a 7% chance. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, they just said, by the way, that that, is, that change is happening. Uh, Russell Wilson yeah. is getting benched, so – very interesting. He's been terrible, by the way. I know people really celebrated his. <laughs> it was in the middle of the season. They're like, "Look at Russell Wilson." I'm like, "He's still bad." I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was a good one. Very that, odd. Had a lot of angry Broncos fans at me throughout the entire year, and uh, here we are. Yeah, here we are, back where we thought we'd be. Um, okay, so let's say let's say the Broncos win that game, though. I mean, Chargers are. I don't know actually, which I don't know, but I guess it probably doesn't end up mattering. Um, but Bengals at Chiefs, so let's say Chiefs bounce back. Uh, Bengals defense is atrocious, man. <laughs> I don't know. So if, bad, so bad. They, Bottom five and explosive plays against the run and the pass. They just cannot oh. missing tackles, get back, get guys yeah. bouncing off of them. Like they just can't. They just can't stop anything. What happened to Uncle Lou is something. I mean, we Ollie and I probably need to talk about that on a podcast. But like, what happened to Uncle Lou in the Bengals defense is like. A total big subplot to this. Yeah, it can't just be like, "Hey, we lost Jesse Bates and Von Bell." Yes, yeah. very good players, no question about that. It, it's 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 deeper than that. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This kind of fall off is crazy. Um, Browns Bengals Week 18. Let's say the Browns take care of that one. Um, Jaguars Titans. This is probably one of the big ones, huh? And Titans would be playing spoiler maybe with Ryan Tannehill and not Will Levis. I don't know what that means for the Steelers, but it's an interesting and and you would think Trevor Lawrence is back for this game, but you can't say for sure. Uh yeah. I think you'd rather have Tannehill. Like obviously I like the long term outlook on Levis more. Um, but he just has the potential, you know, to put up a stinker. But the Jaguar defense is horrendous. Like I don't know if that should be talked about more. The last like six, eight weeks, they have been arguably the worst defense in the NFL, which is so frustrating because I thought they were showing signs the first two months of like not being as horrible as they were last year. They cannot cover, t- they literally cannot cover tight ends in any way, shape, or form. Um, they're good against the run. They're still pretty good against the run, but in coverage and, and like they have pieces. They're just maybe it's, it's a deployment issue, uh, you know, with what was it, Mike Caldwell? Who's their DC? Yeah, um, yep. yeah. I, I don't know what the, the issue. I, I actually watch their like their film and, and see the actual fundamental issues, but they can't stop uh, anyone. Yeah, it's pretty bad right there. But also the Titans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yes. the counterpoint, and that offense of the offensive line. I think Jacksonville will get those done. Which if Jacksonville wins that game, it does deal a pretty good shot. If, if Titans win that game and these other results go as we've said. The Steelers' chance of the playoffs, I think they're in basically that way. If they win, obviously, the Steelers would be winning this week too. So 
they'd be at that point. So they really need Jacksonville to lose that game. I just don't know if it's going to happen, but how Jacksonville plays against Carolina and what Trevor Lawrence's health is, is going to tell us a lot probably. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And then you've got Texans and Colts. You've got some other interesting results there, but that really is the one that seems to be holding a lot of power over whether the Steelers would make it or not. But that that's what makes this predicting this so hard, Brad, is that you have significant injury questions around what C.J. Stroud's availability going to be this week. And it looks like he probably will play. What state will he be in when he plays? And same with Trevor Lawrence. Like, what's his available? Will he play this week? What are their odds against Carolina if he doesn't play? Like, just, yeah, it just seems like he's not going to be fully healthy at any point this season. I mean, he's been, he's had like four injuries this season. Like he's had all different kinds of things happen and he continues to play through them. But like you said, he's not played very well um, overall. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, concerning. I feel like that the Pistillas have put themselves in a situation where they're dependent on so many things that need to go their way. But I think because of the injury issues with all these AFC South quarterbacks, we talk about all the time, man. It's just like somehow this team seems to find their way to lock into results that they've got no business, uh, you know, having based on their level of play this season. I mean, you could definitely argue the Steelers were one of the worst teams in the league this year when you look at so many different metrics, but they have found a way to like the, the I keep going back to the Ravens game. How the heck did they win that game early in the season? Like watching the Ravens play, the amount of things that had to go right and self-inflicted things the Ravens had to do. So it is one of those real quandary situations to be in where every fan is obviously rooting for the Steelers to win when they play. 
but there is this underlying idea of like, if they keep doing this, what is ever going to change? Like, are they actually going to take it seriously that they're far short of where they need to be in this organization? If they keep finishing nine and eight, getting to the playoffs, getting killed in the first round. Like, I think they still will eventually, but man, all it takes is one playoff game where they just get the, they pull this bull in one of these playoff games and they get into this position to win. And it's like, and here we go again, like another couple of years of this mess. And so there is that part of me that's really at war where I do desire to see this team do well and I desire to see them succeed. And also I just look at teams around the league and I watch a ton of ball and I'm like, this just doesn't deserve to be one of the playoff teams that's out there. And I don't think they will be still, but I, I definitely, the fact that there's a possibility that's as real as it is, is, is pretty crazy to me. Because we can also look at matchups, but like every year there's a spoiler. Look, Mike Vrabel with a team that has nothing to play for in a division yeah. matchup and weekend. Like that team, like I almost want to bet on that team right now. Like, um, so yeah, and then it's uh, you know, the, I thought about it as I said it, and I've been stewing on it. Like the fact they're four and one in the division, and maybe this is just searching for an answer to a question that isn't really there, but it to your point, it almost makes me think, like, again, are they is it actually tied to who they are and how they operate in that? They scout very well their own division, but they don't do enough homework on the Patriots, Cardinals, Colts of the world, or, or just don't have the the resources, the bodies, the um, you know whatever whatever you want to say to be all encompassing and do their homework on everyone and, and scout tendencies and 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 matchups and mismatches and all these things. But they but they can do that because of course every team you know in, in some ways are built to beat their division and they'll maybe kind of you know scheme their way to, okay, if you have a Lamar Jackson division, you probably, you know, maybe swing it a decision on, hey, I want to get a player who can be a spy or, like, do different things. Again, not always, but it almost and, – and, again, like, I might – maybe I'm just grasping at straws here, but it's almost kind of like an indictment. Like, yeah, when it's a, a common opponent, a familiar opponent that they know they're going to play twice a year – they're four, sitting here at four and one, but then have a bunch of horrendous losses <laughs> to a bunch of bad football teams um, that they obviously are not as familiar with. I was going to say, yeah, that's part of it, no, no doubt. Um, getting to play Jake Browning twice is part of it. Um, the other defense, the Bengals State of the Bengals defense when they played him, um, you know, Deshaun Watson was a disaster when they played him, and the Steelers had a good bit to do with that too. Uh, they did play well, especially up front in that game. Um, you know, we talked about the Ravens game being one of the luckiest victories of the entire season for a team. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of factors obviously that have gone to it. I do think the familiarity uh bodes well for them, a lot of these teams sometimes. So there are good things. I mean, obviously the Steelers, the way they played against the Bengals in general, just a kind of a, one of their more complete efforts of the season, no doubt. Bengals had been playing well, and it, it does deserve to be acknowledged that they had been playing well. Uh, thought the Steelers pass rush really kind of owned that game a little bit. Um, I thought that. Highsmith and Watt were two of the best players on the field. That is, That has been true at times this season. A lot of times teams have just gotten the ball out so quickly or designed attacks offensively that are get the ball out so fast that those two have not had the impact maybe um, that we've seen from them in past seasons where they've literally just, I mean, the defensive line in general has just won the Steelers games like over the past couple. They've won half their game for, you know, just despite incompetent offense and everything, those guys have just been so good. And that, that level, I don't think they've been quite on that level consistently all season this year, but they were awesome in this game. They affected Browning uh, in major ways um, and affected the Bengals offensive line in major ways. Jonah Williams was in hell dealing with TJ Watt. And so those guys, typically when the Steelers win, the success can be traced back to those guys. And I did felt like, I know the Bengals defense still did some good things. I think Browning threw, still threw for like 340 yards or something like that. Uh, but 
they did. They created the splash plays when they needed to defensively, and that's that's what swayed this game ultimately. Yeah, and, and that's been the story of the Bengals like all year. I mean, they're not good on a down to down basis either, but they're just it, it's nuts how bad they are um, against explosives. And the weird thing too is they're actually not even that high up. They're bottom ten in missed tackles. It's a lot of like, and I guess maybe we delineate there, but it's a lot of like bouncing off contact, which is different than getting juked out. And I think we kind of separate those things to a degree. Um, and, and like yeah, we talked about, it's not just Jesse Bates. Like I think Jordan Battle, I think honestly has been a pretty good Von Bell replacement. They do need to figure out free safety, and like they've had you know some Dax Hill, Nick Scott kind of got benched. Like that is an issue. Um, they also you know chose to spend with all these decisions coming up. They chose to retain both off-ball linebackers, and Jermaine Pratt has been horrendous for about two months straight now. He was bad in this game too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why he, he you know what Logan Wilson I get. I don't know why they felt they need to pay both. And then, you know, the DJ reader injury is, is meaningful. Uh, I hate to see him go down pending free agent. Very, very good football player. But yeah, I mean, we'll get into the larger quarterback conversation, but they are a team right now where you just get the ball to a playmaker in space and let them, you know, take take a slant 85 yards uh, per se. Uh, It's, it's been working against Cincinnati all year long. Yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh definitely did the things that they absolutely needed to do to win this game because you're right, the formula was there. It was a matter of can they be successful in this way. And I do give Mason Rudolph credit because some of these plays down the field are plays that, and I think the change in offensive philosophy has been a part of this too. They haven't really been able to find explosives in the passing game like even they did at the end of last season. Um, And I think that, that Mason for all the foibles that he has, and he doesn't have, I know this week they asked um, somebody for the Steelers, like what's their big reasons for him being able to hit these plays down the field? And he was like arm strength. And I like almost spit out my drink because Mason Rudolph's kid, I mean, everybody in the league could throw for distance. People always like, look at his arm. Like everybody could throw down the field for distance in the league for the most part. It's the guys who can drive the ball with velocity, the second and third levels of the defense. And he has never been able to do that well. So he doesn't have much arm strength in terms of driving the football. But if you want to talk about throwing over the top with touch and accuracy, I had thought like in college, that was probably his number one trait. It hasn't really shown up that way in the NFL, his adjusted completion percentage. I was running the numbers this week, uh, looking at your guys, uh, what you track over a pro football focus. It's actually been pretty bad throughout his career. Like if you're talking about consistency now, he's never started that consistently um, over big sample size, except for the one season. And so that is a layer to this too, where it's like, okay, if he had, you know, a long stretch of games to play in or whatever, you know, would it be, would it look better from him? What would the numbers look like from him? Because I did think in college, that was one of the strengths that he had in his game. However, I do think that if he can find that, like that is something that they absolutely need because this team stringing together play after play after play, conversion after conversion, especially with how often they're in third down, it just doesn't seem like really a, a, a very, I don't know, likely way to win at the NFL level for a team that's built like this, or that has the struggles the play calling struggles, all of that. Um, But yeah, I think that is one of the things that's mainly being discussed right now, Brad is the, the deep ball who gives them the bigger splash play, big play potential down the field, which I think is rightly being, being seen as one of the more important things to decide this quarterback matchup. Given if we start from the premise that neither of these guys are probably good, who gives you the higher end upside, the ability to create the splash plays down the field and I thought these numbers were pretty interesting as we move into the discussion on which of these two guys should start. Um, Rudolph ended up, so you have to add his numbers to these a little bit. I think he was two of five on 20 plus air yard throws uh, last uh, the other night against the Bengals. Um, so add that to this bump, though he's probably a little bit for him. But over the course of their careers, Mason's career 
uh, adjusted completion percentage on 20 plus air yard throws going into that game. Like I said, you can bump it probably a little bit from here was 32.6%. Kenny Pickett's career adjusted completion percentage, adjusted completion percentage, by the way, is uh, taking drops out of it. So we're not talking about uh, get, get count drops as completions, basically, because they're uh, contextualizing for the fact that that isn't on the quarterback. Um, for Kenny, 20-plus air yard throws, he's at 42.7 or adjusted completion percentage. So Kenny's been more accurate. Who's thrown them more often is another conversation rudolph 20 plus air yards throughout his throws throughout his career that's been 12.6 percent of his career attempts for kenny those throws have been 10.5 percent of his career attempts so rudolph over the course of different coordinators and over the course of many more years and broken up kind of over time has actually thrown the deep ball more often than pickett by a decent amount however pickett has not had very much time to play and has played in Matt Canada's offense, which, you know, with everybody was saying kind of after that Bengals game where he threw the ball over the yard down the field, this is the biggest difference, like is how aggressive and how much we're taking shots since Matt Canada is not here. So the offense scheme for those of you who watch tape clearly neutered Pickett early on. Like even last year when they opened things up and they were successful, he was ripping the ball down the field all the time. So I don't see Rudolph as, you know, when you consider all the context, I don't think he is more aggressive downfield passer than Pickett. And the numbers show us he's not been a more accurate downfield passer than Pickett. So this argument is being used to prop Rudolph up in the minds of many in Pittsburgh media who probably don't see these actual stats or know how to read these actual stats. I actually think they prove the opposite, that Pickett is actually the better option if that is uh, a criteria that you're going to evaluate on. I'll bolster that a little bit more too. So that obviously is the you know result, and you know adjusted completion percentage does take into account drops, which would bring in some film analysis. But we also just chart every single pass here, um, and we have had conversation on this podcast about our receivers in part to blame or to credit for downfield passing accuracy. And I think the answer is yes, but nonetheless, um, on passes twenty plus yards downfield between Pickett and Rudolph, we have charted. 35.6% of Kenny's to be accurate and 21.1% of Rudolph's to be accurate. Or sorry, that's accurate plus, which means like away from defender, good for yak, etc. So 15 point disparity in favor of Pickett there, just plain accurate. So, you know, within the frame, catchable, yeah. not a perfect throw. Uh, it's still 49.3% Kenny Pickett, 26.9% Mason Rudolph. So he's mar- considerably better. Uh, at throwing 20 plus yards downfield based on our like film analysis charting. And again, not perfect. Some nuance there. Yeah. But thinking of like the Deontay Johnson ball was it against the Packers on the right sideline. Like yeah. it's a perfect throw. I mean, it's, it's a picture perfect throw. So yeah. look, Rudolph did a lot of good things here uh, in this game. Like you can't take it away from him. I, I thought it was interesting. Even in the first half, they had one run go for 10 yards. Like it wasn't like they were, they got an early lead and then like just kind of pounded the football they had a bunch of like four, five, six yard gains. Like it was, it was, it was working, but they didn't break off a bunch of chunk gains. They had one carry uh, from Najigo for 13 yards, and that was the the long of the first half. He had, you know, I think he did a good job of like getting to Allen Robinson on like a third reading of progression on like some, you know, kind of like not a speed out, but like out routes, kind of into the flat and like stuff like that. That probably maybe Kenny bailed from the pocket before he gets to that. But yeah, like in terms of just like ability. And, and creating explosives and stuff like that, um, I, it's clearly Kenny. And look, I mean, Pickens 
Like it was a well placed ball, but like Kenny can throw a, sl- a seven yard slant uh, as well as Mason Rudolph can. <laughs> yeah, that was a funny thing. It was like suddenly the history got rewrote. It was so funny. Like after Mason's performance, not by everybody, but there were certainly been some comments and my mentions on Twitter, and it was about like this was the best dealer performance I've seen from a quarterback since like the Ben's penultimate year or whatever like that. Like it was you know this was like Mason absolutely has to start. I was like Kenny had a better performance against his defense just like a couple weeks ago. Like. I don't even think it's debatable on tape. Like, and I, I was waiting for your all grade to come out to make sure I wasn't tripping because I just watched the games live. And I obviously had studied the tape of the Kenny game uh, against Cincinnati. And I was like, I don't even think it's been close. Like Mason Rudolph had like an 86 yard catch and run from, from, from Pickens on the like seven yard slant you're talking about. He did have one dot to Pickens for the touchdown in the second half. That was an absolutely great throw. He missed multiple receivers down the field open for touchdowns. He underthrew Pickens so badly and so poorly on what should have been another touchdown before the half. Um, yeah. He didn't really, I mean, he played well enough. Like for a third score, you'd be thrilled with how he played. Absolutely. And how aggressive he was. He did a couple bad plays in the pocket. I don't, I don't see him as he doesn't, he doesn't try to get out of structure as often as Kenny does and fail as Kenny often as Kenny does, but he will drop his eyes and he will definitely take some sacks too. So I don't see him as notably better than Kenny in that area. Um, and yeah, I, I, the fact that Kenny isn't way better probably overall is definitely like when you're talking about Kenny as a big picture option. Yes, I understand that, but I don't think there's any question that like Kenny was literally better against this defense a couple of weeks before. But again, it's the power of the box score, right? They scored 16 points against the Bengals when Kenny was obviously better than me than Mason was made four big time throws in that game was, was tough as nails all game. It took some shots in the pocket, made plays down the field, but yet they, the officials take away the Deontay Johnson touchdown. So a couple of weeks later, everybody forgets about the fact they blew the call and there should have been 23 points there. And they forget about the fact that there were short fields in this game is too. And Pickens made plays on bad throws by Rudolph uh, there in this game and also made an unbelievable catch and run. Like those kinds of things, like that isn't Rudolph doing those things. So I know people look at the score when they're like 34 points to 16, like obviously Mason did better. He had a couple more yards and he had two touchdowns and Kenny didn't have any in that game, even though one was taken away. I understand like that the box score carries some power, but when you watch the tape of those performances, there's a reason why Mason was like, I think he graded in the 60, 65, 66 for you guys, which is like a good solid score. Like he played well. And Kenny graded in the 90s in that game because it was the best game of his career. And it was a very, very, very good football game uh, from him. So I just did not see the performances as comparable, comparable at all. And during the game, it didn't seem like people did either. And then it was after the game and it was like, who should start? And it was like, oh, we can't go back. I'm like, what? you wanted to see Kenny without Canada, right? We saw one game and it was really good. It was the best game of his career. I don't think that's going to sustain, but I got to find out. Like, that's the point of all this, isn't it? It is the point of it all. Yeah, no, it's funny. The, the Pickens, like the throw there could have been six. If it's a blade of grass further to the side, like to the outside line, it's out of bounds. Uh, and that's a good example where, like, it was not a good pass for Mason Rudolph. Like, it was a miraculous play by George Pickens. Yeah, um, yeah no, I mean, that is kind of, I guess, the nature of, uh, of football and all that stuff. And, and I get it. Like you said, it is an indictment that it's even a question at all. Uh, you and I agree it's not really a question, but yeah, there's enough meat on the bone to where people can, you know, point to some things and say, hey, let's let's have the conversation about who should start. You have to find out what you have. And that every single game, I don't care if it's week 18 against the backups, and like every single snap matters and shows you something and proves you something. And also just helps Kenny grow. Like even if we're going to move on and say, regardless of what happens this offseason, Kenny's going to be on the roster next year. That That's, that's a foregone conclusion. So, you just want him getting better. We we know who Mason Rudolph is. 
Did he maybe bolster his case to be a number two elsewhere instead of a number three? Yeah, maybe. Sure. That, and that's great. I'm like, it's awesome for him. Um, kind of been the story of the NFL this year, like the, uh, you know, the the uh, Josh Dobbs of the world, like getting more shots and, and, and getting the ability to kind of stay on NFL rosters. But you can learn a lot. Like you said, post-Matt Canada, see what Kenny Pickett can do. You have a motivated George Pickens now coming off a big game where he got the box score stats and all these things. It's not even a question. As long as he's not putting himself in further harm's way, which at this point for a tightrope surgery, I think he's fine. Um, there's no debate about who should be starting. It should be Kenny Pickett. It's very interesting to me because then Tom, and I thought for sure Pittsburgh's not going to, they're, like, they're not going to say anything the night of Mason Rudolph doing that and all that. Like, I get that completely, but they're going to come back and they're going to say Kenny Pickett's our guy. Like, then Mike Tomlin comes back and he says, if Kenny Pickett's 100% healthy, we'll evaluate then. But right now he's not cleared, it sounds like, like per what he's saying at least. And, I, you know, it, it's pretty tricky if you're lying on what doctors say. Like, I, I don't think that would fly. So I, maybe he's not fully 100% yet. I don't know. And and But it sounds like they're preparing for Mason Rudolph to start this week. Um, a bunch of national boards really jumped the gun and they were like, Mason Rudolph will start this week. And I was like, that's literally not what Tomlin said. Perhaps you're hearing something else but Tomlin said we're going to evaluate Kenny Pickett's health throughout the week to see if he can get cleared or not and in the meantime they're preparing as if Rudolph will start that could be just like a fancy way of working around all this or Kenny really could not be ready to play it's really hard for us to say and I don't like to speculate on those things I know people always want to kind of assume that the most nefarious thing is happening I'm not ready to say that I do think this if Kenny Pickett was 100% fully clear, cleared and healthy that they would be starting him this week however it, it remains to be seen if he will be or if that won't happen until later in the week and then Mason's taking the reps. And so Kenny's not, you know, I could see that being an argument. It's also going to draw a ton of eyeballs. You're ready to actually believe in Kenny Pickett. And then you've got a real interesting case if they somehow win this game um, and Mason plays decent football, which is what I think he played against the Bengals a couple uh, days ago. Um, if he does that again and they win this game for whatever reason, we've seen wackier things happen in Pittsburgh even this season then you've got a real quandary on your hands for the next week too, because Kenny will be hundred percent healthy. You would think by that point and Mason's won one quote unquote, uh, two games in a row at that point. And so if you don't start Kenny in either of those games, and then if you make the playoffs in a playoff game, it's gotta be over. Like you can't act like it isn't as an organization. It's gotta be over and you gotta be ready to like looking at turning the page options next year, which how can you believe that that is Rudolph? Like, that's what this is. I'm I'm all over the place with this, Brad, because I definitely think I agree with you that Kenny should start for sure this week if he's healthy. However, if they start Mason and don't start Kenny, that seems like it's signaling the end of their experiment with Kenny. Like they've not lost faith in him. not that he won't be on the roster, but they're not going to give him the starting job next year. They're going to bring in real competition for it and they're going to, you know, bring in somebody they believe can fully beat him out for that starting spot, whether it's a draft pick or somebody in free agency trade, whatever. So that's interesting to me too, because I don't really think Kenny Pickett is the guy long-term. So I kind of agree with that, but I don't necessarily believe that it would be a good process given the fact that they fired their OC to see what Pickett would look like without him. He looked great. Now you've got the opportunity to see that again and you don't like, you're not going to do it. Like that's, that's a bad process to me. So I'm kind of all over the place with this and that I believe they can make a bad decision and potentially get to a better result like next year or something. But I still don't think it's a good process from an organizational standpoint of evaluating what you have in front of you. If the whole idea of firing Canada and doing in season and doing what you never do as an organization was to find out what Kenny can look like without him, 
he looks great and then he gets hurt in the second quarter in the next game after looking like okay in that game it wasn't great like okay through a quarter against uh against Arizona if that's the case then like I don't know how you can't want to see more of him and think that he gives you the I could could be both and think that he gives you the best chance to win the football game a couple weeks ago he was the starter and Mason Rudolph wasn't even at Mitch Trubisky how do you watch the tape of that game which I agree Rudolph was decent but how do you watch the tape of that game and think all of a sudden Rudolph gives us the best chance to win like that doesn't make any sense to me the last thing you saw from Kenny was balling out like it just it's a very bad process and it feels a lot like this feels good gut feeling type stuff which is just not a very good way to evaluate your roster. Yeah, no, I see the, the the moral quandary you're having of like, you do think they probably should find a way to move on from Kenny, but how they're going about it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, the funny thing too is I actually kind of love this matchup against Seattle in particular. Their pass rush, once they lost to Chenna and Wosu, is not that great. They'll get some some pressure from Draymond Jones and Leonard Williams on the interior, uh, occasionally from Boye Mafe, who's been a good second-year player, but like, I think the Steelers' offensive line will hold up to a degree. Uh, and right now you can pick on this Seattle secondary, which probably doesn't have Devin Witherspoon, I would imagine, still not playing in this game um, for Seattle. So, like, I like the matchup on both sides of the ball. Because then I also think, look, T.J. Watt and Alex Heisman, they're going to bully whoever's playing tackle for Seattle, maybe get you some favorable field position, get you a good game script, and get Mason to get a decent-looking box score once again. And then... Yeah, do you start him against Baltimore? Do you start Kenny then? Say, hey, all right, now you're going to play Mike McDonald's defense in your first game back in five, six weeks, uh, you know, after Mason played the Bengals and uh, the Seahawks, who have been second half of the season, two of the worst coverage units in the NFL, uh, and say, all right, yeah, good luck uh, against McDonald and co. So if he's healthy, there is no, like you said, if he's healthy and they still choose to start Mason Rudolph, then you're taking, you are, let's say they missed the playoffs, they're picking 15, whatever, like you're looking at Jaden Daniels, Bonix, Michael Penix, like whatever. Like you are, you are finding a way to add a new or, or you know, getting in the Kirk Cousins market, whatever. If you if you don't do that, then you're just admitting you're wasting everyone's time in 2024. Yeah, I like I don't know. Yeah, they have to be because they're just like, no, we're comfortable running it back next year between Mason and Kenny. It's just ridiculous. Like, you know, Mason Rudolph isn't that guy, and you probably know Kenny isn't that guy, but you do not know it to the same degree you know with Mason Rudolph. I mean, he has been the number three guy behind Mitch Trubisky. Like, this can't be real. You can't be convincing yourself of this. That he's the guy over this game. Like, you've seen him play. It's not like he's this unknown who's just sat on the bench and toiled in obscurity and you've never gotten to see him play. That's not what he is. He's played considerably throughout his career. Like, you know this isn't real. Like, you know who he is. And so that's the part to me that, like, if he were some, like, maybe he's better than Kenny type of guy, then okay. But it's just not the case. It's not who he is. And so that part to me is frustrating because I just don't think – and ultimately, like, if you want the Steelers to make the playoffs, I don't know how you can look at career sample sizes and even recent play, et cetera, and say – Mason Rudolph gives the Steelers the best chance to win. Now, that doesn't mean that Kenny couldn't go out there and start and have a bad game. Like, obviously, he's capable of that. So is Rudolph. Like, that could happen and and probably is more likely than not to happen with both of them in this game against Seattle or against Baltimore if they play their starters. Or, you know, that's on the table with both players. But I just don't know what about Kenny's recent play, especially because he had been trending upward without Canada, is bench-worthy or worthy of not being the guy that you lean on in these moments. Like this is exactly what you want to find out. How does your number one pick your round one pick play 
in the big moments, these regular season games that are like playoff games where you got to win to get to the playoffs. How does he play in those moments? How does he look in those moments with his cast around him, with an offense that you believe in more than you believed in when Canada was there? Like this is the exact scenario you've got to be able to measure Kenny Pickett by. And if he falls on his face, then you know, man. But if you don't give him the chance to do that or to thrive, then you've got no clue for next season. You're no closer to figuring out what he was without Matt Canada than you were when he was with the worst OC in the league. And so that to me is just not a good way of, organ- of evaluating your talent. It feels more like we're all in to try and get this seven seed, sneak into the playoffs. And we think the hot hand, you know, whatever cliche you want to put in there that doesn't actually understand ball, but just goes off of vibes um, is, is, is how they're going to make decision. And that is just, Really discouraging to me, not surprising to me necessarily, um, because the, the, I don't think the Steelers process has been good. And I've talked about that with you this season. Their uh, process of evaluating their own roster has been much poorer than I can ever remember. Remember, And even when you look around the league, has been among the poorest of all teams in the NFL, I believe, this season. Just their ability to look at their own team and say, who are the best players that we should be putting on the field and how should we be deploying them? has been really, really bad this season. For that to happen at quarterback, though, is another level of discouragement, in my opinion. It's more important, right. Like like giving County Benton like eight fewer snaps than he should get on, in his rookie Crazy. season is a whole lot different than just like not understanding how to both evaluate but also deploy and build up and, and learn about your franchise quarterback. It's a whole other level. It, it takes it to an infinitely worse realm of, of you know, confidence and in, in their ability to, to move forward. So, yeah, we'll see. It's fascinating. Like, you know, injuries are all different for every player, but the timeline of a of a tightrope procedure for the ankle, like Kenny, I think it's a question too, though, of, you know, can he, can he play? Yes. Maybe they did not want to be less than 100%. Like if you saw yeah. Brock Bowers in the Alabama game, like that's obviously a different position, but like that's your example. Like he wasn't at risk of re-injury, but he was coming off the field every five snaps because he was kind of still not feeling great with that ankle. Like that's maybe what Kenny would be. I'm not going to tell a guy to play hurt, but like if you don't have risk of re-injury and it's just going to be kind of like playing through pain, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's kind of, kind of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a kind of a mess of a situation, which is funny that they actually won finally and, and got the bad vibes out of there from those three straight losses a little bit, at least. And now they're in potentially a more damaging situation off the field, like in making a decision here. Ultimately, it probably is the fact that it's neither of these guys, which as I said is all along is like the most likely scenario is that neither of these guys are good. This is more of a process criticism than it is a like Kenny Pickett is clearly like awesome. And they're not recognizing it. They you know, where. I'm not saying we thought we knew he was awesome, but the Joey Porter Jr. conversations, the Keanu Benton conversations we've had this year with the roster, like those have been, these guys are clearly way better football players. And like, you have to be able to play them. This is just like clearly the right decision. I feel like from a process standpoint, and it does not feel like they are preparing to make that decision. Now we'll see, we'll see what Kenny Pickett's health is. We'll see if he actually gets cleared. We'll see if he's actually active this week. All indications on Sunday were around the league that he was fully expected to be cleared this week. And the Steelers have not operated as if they believe that or want to believe that this week. So we'll see ultimately what happens at the quarterback position. But I think our our stance on this is pretty clear. And the real concern is, to me, there's no real future for the Steelers this season. If people, I understand people rooting for them to, to sneak into the playoffs just because it's your favorite team and you want to see them do as well as possible, I guess. I don't personally that doesn't personally matter much to me. Um, I want to see them be set up long-term for the future because I know they're not going anywhere this year. So how are they set up best long-term for the future as an organization? 
And it sure seems like from a lot of reporting um, this past week that they're making a lot of decisions that are going to ensure that that is a worse future than I believe that it should be. Uh, the One of those decisions was the uh, there was reports Mike Florio said, now Diana Rossini said that she reported that the Steelers have considered trading Mike Tomlin or, or were considered trading him potentially if there were offers there, like they would be open to that. That was interesting. Mike Florio came back, depends which one of these people you trust more. Uh, Mike Florio came back and said, the Steelers are actually looking to extend or, uh, Mike Tomlin rather than trade him or get rid of him and move on from him, which I was just like, wow, in the world. But that seems to be the scenario that was set up this Sunday in, in dual reports that conflicted with each other. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So on that note, I'm glad you brought this up. I think there is an angle to where they actually don't conflict with each other at all. Okay. And Bill Belichick had the scenario where he got Bill Belichick got extended before this past season. Okay. There was kind of a hubbub of like the whole situation with Sean Payton. He was on an expiring deal. He did actually sit out a year and wait a year because a year did come off his contract because coaching contracts were different. Like it's not going to toll like a player's contract would. He gets paid that money and moves forward a year. And then Denver had to give him, by some reports, I think it was like five years, 85 mil, which is probably a top five contract at, the, at, at for a head coach. So I think there is still a scenario where the Steelers negotiate a new contract with Tomlin and his agent, but it also makes, like, makes it more tradable or makes him more attractive to a team that then says, okay, we'll inherit your four or five, whatever year deal, we don't have to give up trade compensation. And then you have this massive leverage over us and we're going to make you, and he probably already is one of the highest paid coaches in the NFL, but like, you know, just, just on the margin, save some money, whatever. So I think there is a, a, a scenario where those two reports actually don't conflict. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely know. I know what you're saying, but like, I think when you yeah. get stuff from like a Florio and Rossini, I mean, it's the most respectful way where it's, I'm not even call it speculative. I'm sure it's based on legitimate in- information and intel. But when it's not a report, when it's like what I'm hearing and yada yada, mm-hmm. there are so you have to always sit back and think of like all the different angles and permutations and like why is it getting out? Who would benefit from it getting out? What are the different ways you can view it? Anyway, it's a whole different spiel. And and my yeah, as I've gotten into the information game and the intel game, and I know you and I talk about it a ton, mm-hmm. uh, and I try to sprinkle it in here where I can. Uh, like you just you have the 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 Brian Windhorst antennas up. 24-7-365. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, lo- long response short. Like, I think those actually could be related more so than than at, than at odds with each other. Yeah, Florio's way of talking about it, and this could have been him adding his own narrative and anecdotes to it, but he was like, you know, basically saying the Steelers don't have and have never had any interest in moving on from Mike Domlin this season. Like, that's just been all about a bunch of, bunch of bull out there. Um, and that could have been him adding to it or whatever. That made me kind of think that they were conflicting. But now that you mentioned it, you're right, because Tom only has, what, one year left on his deal, I think? Yep. After 24 is it. Yep. That's tough to trade because that if what if it goes poorly in the scenario, and then he's just out there. And so it could work out. But, yeah, you're the leverage thing, you're right. Like, because how many years did Peyton have on his deal when he went to? I think also one by the time he made they made the trade because he had I think he had two he sat out that year and then it was just the one and then 
Like, I, I think he basically negotiated a new contract before like, as a part of the trade. Yeah. But still, you know, you have a ton of leverage because they're not going to. It's the same as, you know, trading for a guy on an expiring contract. Like, it's not really yeah. all that much different. Right. Because if they want something for him, they got to get rid of him now. Um, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that could be could be part of it. Although, the, to uh, as a part of that, you'd have to basically be convincing Tomlin, which might mean lying to Florio, that, yeah, yeah, we want you around here long term. We're not like, hey, we're re-signing you and extending you to trade you. You know, I don't know that he would be. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe he wouldn't care. Like, I think you still you you kind of approach it from just like, look, these are fully guaranteed coaching deals. Like, we're just re-upping your, your money. We're not doing it so we can trade you. But hey, you're you're on an expiring. You want some future financial assurances as security. Like, it's different than like, hey, go to a player. Hey, we want to add a bunch of non-guaranteed contract years. The end of your contract, you know, so that teams, so that we or somebody else has more years of control over you, but not the obligation to pay or whatever. Like. You know, they do if they extend Tomlin, he says, if you trade me, I'm gonna retire or something. So like and I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna back channel through my agent to other teams, hey, he wants to coach the Steelers and nobody else. He doesn't want to move, whatever. He loves Pittsburgh, his family loves Pittsburgh, whatever. Like that's still the team's not gonna be like, okay, well, like they're gonna have to deal with that, right? So, you know, it's not only to trade him, but I think it is potentially one outcome that that does, you know, kind of make sense. Hmm. It's interesting, yeah. I mean, it definitely seems like it could be possible to work out that way it seems like it'd be tricky to navigate all the relational aspects of it and it would be so unsteelers like but then i also think it's not kevin colbert there anymore it's guys who might believe in a different way of doing business and maximizing all your assets uh not necessarily just doing the best feeling good and feel good thing for the organization with the fans and all that kind of stuff and because there is a layer of right you sign him to an extension and then you're releasing all these statements too that are like, we trust Mike, we're happy to have Mike Tom back. We trust him to guide us in the future, all this stuff. I could see you trading him a year after that, but probably like this off season, right after saying all that, that that's where it gets a little mixed on me too. It's like, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to say all that and then just turn around and trade him right after you do it, that's just not something I could ever see Pittsburgh doing. I don't know how many times that would have even happened with a coach uh, or even a key player that that's happened with before, but uh, that's something that I could definitely like down the road, maybe after another season of this madness and doing that again, my hope would be that it would happen sooner, but um, it'd be better than keeping him five more years, in my opinion. Um, so interesting stuff there. Uh, lastly, before we wrap up here, touching on thoughts just from this Bengals game. Uh, I mentioned the defensive line a little bit, and then we jumped into the conversation on the quarterbacks. But if this is the kind of performance you can get from this line over the next two weeks and Seattle's offensive line is solid, but Definitely beatable, I think. And Baltimore would, you know, I don't think they are very, I mean, so it's beat them once, but I don't think they have a path to beating them again unless Baltimore's resting their starters, which is quite possible at this point. Um, that is an interesting layer to this as well because the Steelers front four, like it didn't even matter who their linebackers were because their front dominated this game so much. Um, and that's pretty much what will have to happen with now Landon Roberts hurt, hurt as well. It's like an absolute hilarious linebacker group it's like miles jack they just signed jalen smith yeah we'll see if he plays like blake martinez is in the mix here like all these guys have played but none of them are very good and so it's it's gonna be just a wild ride uh the rest of the way at linebacker and like alec ogletree like who else are the linebackers in that bucket of player like you, you gotta get like alec ogletree in the mix you gotta get they, like they wish Deion, Shaq Deion Leonard Jones was on a roster. Where's Deion Jones? <laughs> Deion Jones, yeah. They wish that uh, that uh, Darius Leonard or Shaq Leonard was probably available as well. But former no second round pick linebackers that were awesome for three or four years that are now just the most cooked. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's their core right now. It's amazing. Yeah, no, the D line was incredible. K 
Connie Benton, I thought was, I mean, he didn't play enough as I alluded to earlier, but I thought had a bunch of phenomenal reps. Um, Highsmith continues to just be, to be great against both passes, the run and the pass. Uh, yeah. I mean like, yeah, the, the, the unit just took over that game. Like they dominated that game. And if Highsmith and water, these two guys, like the rest of the way, then they can win games because they're going to create turnovers. I mean, in this game alone, like, you know, you talk about uh, Highsmith's interception, obviously being one of the key plays of the game, they're, their sacks, the strip sack potential is always there with them. Like they honestly can swing games just because of those things. I mean, the Steelers weren't going the length of the field on every single one of these possessions against the Bengals because of how dominant that front was. And so that kind of has the ability to overcome some of these offensive. We all you need is a little game stretch. That's all you need, basically, um, to to get there. So there are paths for sure, but just because of how good these players are, really important positions that if they're going to play their best ball. Um, over these next couple of weeks, they had 12 combined pressures and and each had a sack and Highsmith's interception and uh, I think Watt forced a fumble. And so, I mean, it was just that kind of a performance. And then if you get the, the supplemental performances from guys like Benton and if Hayward comes alive, Joby has played his best ball over the past two or three weeks, uh, putting it together a little bit. Um, still shouldn't be playing 17 more snaps than Keanu Benton, but here we are still watching Benton play four more snaps. I think it was a four. Four more snaps than Montrevious Adams. Yes, four more snaps than Montrevious Adams in the year of our Lord, 2013, week 16. It is truly a personnel assessing embarrassment. But that helps overcome the fact that this secondary is probably not getting any better and that Seattle could throw six, seven, 20-plus air yard plays on this defense and you wouldn't bat an eye because it's just like what you expect at this point. If they hold up, they will hit a bunch of shot plays. There is no oh, yeah. question about that. I think we're finally seeing Jackson Smith and Jigba like grow in confidence both with himself but also the quarterback's confidence in him. So they have three receivers that can beat you at all three levels of the field. Um, and two guys in Lockett and him that can get up, you know, create separation pretty quickly. Or if Geno trusts to just kind of throw Metcalf like a quick slant, I mean, just like the Pickens touchdown and just let him go to work after. Um yeah, the, the tackle injuries and everything that's been going on in Seattle. You got Jason Peters still mixing in and playing football, which is amazing. But, you know, I, I think T.J. Watt against Jason Peters, it's a bit of a mismatch in, in the year of our Lord 2023, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, no, the, the front needs to dominate because if they don't, and Gino has time, I think he's going to pick them apart. Yeah, I like Gino Smith a lot. Uh, I think he's a very good – the last two seasons have been really impressive. The fact that he's been able to kind of consistently be this guy – also really, really good. We'll pull the numbers for uh, tomorrow's show maybe, but really good in fourth quarter late game situations. He's been impressive in this season. So there's just a lot to like about him. Um, and uh, we'll get into that matchup more um, uh, on tomorrow's show probably. But, yeah, Seattle, I mean, they're tough, and they can create explosives as good as any team in the league. And the Steelers, like you said, are giving them up at a tremendous rate. So a lot of this battle is going to be how quickly the Steelers pass rush can impact Geno. Um, just on a regular basis. But yeah, those guys and their performance is the main thing, not the Rudolph performance in my opinion, but the main thing that gives you hope is the performance of those guys in this game. We'll see this upcoming week what the status of Minka is, but the secondary massive concern still to me, Eric Rowe had the pick. In fact, two of these picks were literally just thrown right to these guys. Um, The Rowe pick and the Peterson pick are like, were just absolute gifts. I thought Highsmith made a pretty nice play. I don't think he saw that him dropping out in the middle of the field there, but um, just pretty bad decisions by Browning. Even despite that, Browning 
was 28 of 42 for 335 yards in this game and had a lot of junk plays and good throws. He was not good in this game, but he, even, even in the midst of a bad game, there's just massive gains to be had against his defense. Eric Rowe missed three tackles. Some of his angles in the open field were the angles of a man who is done playing ball at the NFL level. He allowed six catches for 78 yards in this game. Highly concerned if he has to play 61 snaps for you in the next game. Obviously, we know about KZ's situation. Levi Wallace also still just overwhelmed, uh, gave up uh, what I felt like, again, some ugly plays in this past week, but he, they're trying to limit his that, but he basically has to play because Peterson's playing safety. So he's playing 64 of 64 snaps in this game, and that is just something that teams are going to find and going to exploit. And Porter's good, but penalties, some of those are not. I'm not even necessarily worried about him, but it's been one of those things that on top of everything else, if you're telling me the secondary is also going to pick up penalties, um, it just feels like it's a lot to overcome without Minka, without better play from some of these guys out there. So I just don't trust that unit at all right now. But shout out Shannon Sullivan. He actually played well in this game, I thought. Made a couple big plays at a couple pass breakups. You know, was targeted a good bit in this game. Kind of lim- tackled well. I thought I just I thought he actually showed up for really the first time all season. Um, so credit to him for this game because they really needed one guy in the secondary to do something, and he ended up being the guy. There was an angle that Rowe took on a Tyler Boyd catch. That was t- it was tough. It was tough. Yeah, there. there. Uh, yeah, catch, no, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you broke it down fairly well. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I mean, look, they obviously, you know, took advantage of, like, his interception was also a nice play. Like, a bit of a gift, but Peterson's was more of a gift in the end zone, just kind of standing there, uh, like, just just browning, trying to do something with nothing. But, yeah, no, they, they, they are, I mean, at this point, we also can't say, like, it's, the injuries are also insane. Like, it's probably one of the more injured back sevens in the entire NFL. Um, it's not just they were kind of deficient coming into the year, which they were. Uh, but they're also, I mean, it's it's insane how decimated they are from the linebacker core to the the secondary. Yeah, they still got their corner group uh, for whatever that's worth. But they've, but their, yeah, their safeties are. I mean, they've lost their top three safeties now. Not that Keanu Neal was good or was better than these guys. Elijah Riley only played three snaps, but I still think around the line of scrimmage, he's been pretty good this year when they when they when he's played. Um, so I, I wouldn't have. I mean, you're picking your poison here, but I would have much trouble with him playing a little bit more, perhaps. Uh, as the season's gone on. And then what they do at linebacker, because Miles Jack jumped in this game, and I believe it'll be Jack and Walker probably moving forward. Jack played 47 of 64 snaps, and Walker played 36 of 64 snaps. And they're both okay in this game. Um, Jack didn't look totally cooked, but he definitely, like, again, missed tackles are the biggest thing, right? When you're talking about guys who haven't played for a while, haven't played well, the degree to which they miss tackles and how badly the missed tackles are definitely carries some concern and just the open field movement and angles and closing ability and all that kind of stuff. And Roe and Jack both look like guys who hadn't played in a while, hadn't played much ball this season. And so it's a concern. It's something that I think the defense is just going to have too many limitations ultimately uh, to overcome, but we'll see what the status is for some of these injured guys this week. Any more thoughts on the defense? No, no, I think we covered it. I mean, yeah, the edge rush was dominated. Um, Benton flashed. I think actually Ogunjobi did actually I think play well. Like you said, probably played too much, but he did have a couple nice plays in this game too, uh, against his old pals and Cincy. Like no, it was just it was kind of cut and dry. The front front four was elite and the back seven just kind of held on for dear life. Uh you know, once they got a nice comfortable lead. The offense, I want to, I guess, just kind of wrap things up with talking about George Pickens. There wasn't that much surprising. We talked about Mason Rudolph. Other than that, 
um, his performance. There wasn't that much else notable about the offensive performance. Thought the tackles were pretty bad, but the ball was coming out pretty quickly, and the rest of the offensive line was fine. I want to talk about. I want to do like a deep dive on Broderick Jones at some point when we've you know probably getting closer to the end of the year here where we've got kind of his whole rookie year to just talk about and evaluate what he looked like and if he progressed or what happened with him throughout the season. It's been definitely a good bit of a struggle for him here over the last couple of games. It'd be nice for him to play his natural position, but they seem obsessed with Dan Moore. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, George Pickens goes off, right? As this amazing performance, four catches, 195 yards, averaging just a, just a cool 48.8 yards per catch of this game. He scores twice. There's all this talk. Should the Steelers have benched him? Should they not have? What message does this send when he comes out, balls out after his attitude last week and nothing's enforced? There's no accountability. What are your thoughts on that? Like that whole dialogue has gone both ways in the Steelers world. And I'm just curious what you think. Yeah, I mean, like Jalen Warren's comment, I thought was about as strong as you'll get from a teammate. Like, you know, I would have blocked that scenario. He also, Warren had an awesome block on the Calvin Austin uh, touchdown <laughs> uh, to his credit. So like, yeah, like I, it's interesting, right? Because now you're saying, okay, didn't get benched and then went off and is now like could be even bolstered in his belief that he doesn't have to block and that he should just get fed and is the best player on the team and all that. And talent-wise, maybe he is. But, I mean, I still do come back to, like, I think, you know, at a certain point, is he going to respond well to that lesson or is it just going to cause more problems? Like, look, we can nitpick a lot of what Tomlin does and he's not perfect, but I do think handling personalities and managing egos – He's pretty darn good, uh, I think, in that category um, overall. Again, like like we talked about, sometimes being too much of a player's coach maybe has caused problems, whether we see them or not. I think the locker room making comments like that, like, goes to, like, maybe Talon also wanted that. Say, I, look, I can go talk to the player, but I'm, you know, I'm not in the locker room every day with him, I'm not his teammate. Get a guy like a Jalen Warren who says, I don't care that you're a second-round pick and I'm an undrafted free agent. I'm, like, you know, like, I'm important for this team. I work, I bust my ass, like. I've I've worked too hard to not get blocked for for touchdown or you know goal line runs like maybe some things happen that we just didn't hear about because you know Deontay's made comments Warren made the comments like I I would I would think so or hope so but yeah I mean I I don't know I just I don't know if benching him would have actually achieved like he would be like okay I'm gonna you know focus in now and like no I think he would have sulked and and been pissed off and you know maybe been it would have gone even worse. But yeah, it is kind of funny to think like if now he's like, well, if I show up and put up, you know, buck 95 and two tutties, who cares uh, if I block uh, <laughs> on runs? Yeah, I completely agree with you. Benching him wouldn't, wasn't even on my radar. I was surprised to see some of those comments, but I did see him. And I think that that's, you, you, this isn't college ball. This isn't high school ball. Like you're, these are men. Like you're, there's a different yep. story, man. Like, you you know, um, he made a mistake on a play. Sure. And he should have been better with how he addressed it with the media. I don't think there's any question there. However, like this is one of your best players and also a guy your team relies on heavily, obviously. <laughs> he won you this game, basically. And so, yeah, you need that out there. And it's a disservice to the rest of the guys on your team if that can, if he can't be out there um, for those reasons. And you make a decision based off one play like that. Now, maybe it was a couple of plays. You know, the effort was less than a bit. Now, you need to be able to coach him through that and have conversations with him. It sounds like Tomlin did. Tom was very transparent this week about Pickens. Like he was more transparent than he really ever is about a player in the media. And he definitely challenged him. He threw the gauntlet down and challenged him to be able to play hard and be that guy every single play. And for this game, it seems like he did, you know, and obviously the ball's going his way. So everybody's going to say, okay, this, that was why. Sure. I'm not arguing with that. Uh, and perhaps when the ball doesn't go his way and they're in a disappointing stretch again, frustrating stretch again, he'll do something worse. And, you know, if so, he should be 
Yeah, that should be brought to the attention uh, once again, and they should be that should be dealt with in house, depending on the severity of it. Perhaps to a different level than this one was. However, we haven't gone saying this Peck and whole career. We know that there's behavioral stuff. He'll like you know vent on the sidelines at times, things like that. We haven't been pulling plays out of Pickens tape throughout his entire career where he's just like doesn't care and isn't doing anything. Um, is he a player that goes full speed in practice all the time? No, he is not Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson, you know, he may get frustrated in the game as well. However, like there's no doubt, like he is going all out in practice on a regular basis. Um, anybody who covers the team will tell you that. Like this is a guy that trains very, very, very hard. Pickens has to get on that level, I think, maturity-wise, work ethic-wise, for sure. But his talent is through the roof. And so you have to take shots with talent like that, I think, and you have to continue to develop talent like that. And that usually doesn't involve benching them. That usually involves, I'm going to stick with you despite this. Here's what we need to see this better. I'm giving you every chance to go out there and do it. That, to them, proves that, to, to that player, proves that you've got the trust in them to actually be able to get better rather than, needing to be micromanaged and pulled off and earns earn back trust and things like that. To me, this didn't level rise to the level of, of, of needing to like earn back trust and all this stuff in some capacity that would involve not playing. Like that seems extreme to me. So totally fine with that. Glad that he balled out and played as well as he did. I do not like the rewritten narrative, however, that look Pickens and all, all this week, all the adversity he showed him up this week. That wasn't part of the conversation. The conversation had nothing to do with Pickens' talent. Like, that wasn't it. Like, the conversation had to do with the maturity, and that will be proven over a period of time or it won't be. That's it, period. This game and this performance has absolutely nothing to do with the week that Pickens just had. And to me, that's really important to point out because, and this isn't a Steelers issue, this is just a fan perception media issue now they talk about it and how it gets tweeted about often and things like that. We can't be saying, oh, I did all that, and like all the haters were out there. Like, that adds to the, though, he deserved criticism for what he did. And he deserves praise when he plays well. And those two things can be mutually exclusive completely. And we don't have to act like one bleeds over into the other. Like it doesn't. He is a very talented football player. And perhaps that's why you stick with him in some of these reasons through these things. We know that's how it works. However, the fact that he messed up last week and then played better this week and a week when he was getting the football and the offense was clicking doesn't prove anything to me about his character. That is going to be proven over a long period of time and over being in adverse situations and we'll just see how he responds to it. That that part to me remains to be seen. Acting like we saw some growth from him because of this game. And some players did comment on that too. Is just absolutely hilarious to me. We knew he was a baller. That was clear before. Now we see what kind of a dude is he? How does he respond to the fact that he needs to grow as a person? And that can only be measured over a large sample size of time. Yeah, at a certain point, you like other external forces and factors can't force someone to grow up or what like it's it's not it's not how it works like it's like you make a decision to either do that or not um and i still to this point don't think there's any reason to think why he won't you know just mature as we all did in our early 20s Mm -hmm. um i mean also funny the amount of breaking news during our pod jair alexander's got uh, put on the uh reserve suspension list for a week for conduct detrimental to the team i don't know if you saw he went out for the coin toss and said the wrong thing and apparently he wasn't even one of the captains he just went out there uh, and crashed the the coin toss. I I think I mentioned him. Here's an example where I try to use my Intel nuggets. He's going to be on a new team next year. And I like he wants out of Green Bay so badly. Um, I think he's probably been healthy enough to play and just hasn't for a couple weeks. Uh, I yeah. think there's so much going on there. Um, it's not easy to do. It's, and I'm not saying Jair's a bad guy or anything, but just it's it happens to everybody. But eventually the individual can choose whether or not they want to show up and 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 do the thing. I think he's tired of playing for Joe Barry in Green Bay, and uh, that's that's where we're at. 
That part we can't blame him for, just like we can't no, blame not at all. for being tired of the offensive system, the quarterback play, the coordinating in, Steel- in Pittsburgh. However, how you handle those things matters, and I know it can be frustrating in both situations when guys have been in place but power for longer than they should have been and should have been fired and weren't, and you're subject to them. That can be frustrating, no doubt. However, your teammates rely on you and all those other things are matter matter as well. So, like, I, I am very pro-player. Typically, in my analysis, people have listened to me for years uh, will know that. And so, like, I am taking this probably a little less seriously than a lot of people. A lot of the old heads out there would. However, I do think it bears monitoring, and it can't become a pattern for sure. If it becomes a pattern, that's pretty dangerous. Um, be not just because of those individual plays, but because of the messages sent to the rest of the team that, like, this guy isn't being held accountable. This week, it really sounds like he was held accountable from everything Tomlin said, speaking way harsher than he normally speaks, even condemning the way Pickens communicated to the media, like that was notable to me that like he even said, not only is your play and the performance on the play not good enough, and that's an area we're talking about you need to grow, but also the way you respond to criticism and to questions isn't good enough either from, from, from a maturity perspective. That actually commend Tomlin for. I've criticized him a lot this season, especially on this podcast. But I commend Tomlin for that. I actually think he handled the situation from the best we can tell from our vantage point. He handled the situation as well as possibly uh, he possibly could. Now, should they stop drafting <laughs> so many problematic personalities? Because this is not that likable of a team from the outside. Uh, and that is something we haven't discussed very often. But I'm not saying that you have to develop this likable team. But a lot of these guys, like their what their agenda is, a lot of outspoken, big personalities, and that can be a good thing, but it's hard to conduct a team like that, especially when you have as little boundaries as the Steelers do. They basically are just like, hey, be yourself and do whatever, and that can lead to some issues, as it has in the past. Uh, so we'll see how the direction things going from there. Any other thoughts before we uh, wrap up the show? No, no, we're on to, we're on to week 17 against All Seattle. Right. Somehow Steelers are alive, and I genuinely do like uh, the matchup with the Seahawks. I really do. Yeah, we, uh, we move into – we add Jair Alexander – to our Steelers watch list for yes. next season because he is a former round one pick. He's an incredible athlete. He is a dynamic player. He is an, an enigmatic personality. So he automatically qualifies to be considered for the Steelers based on all those things. So we'll evaluate that further when the time comes. Until then, thanks so much, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Yin's No Ball podcast.